I, I, would, um, I would contend that there's more in a name than we can measure. When I say a name like Marlon Brando, I've got a narrow audience in the room. Who knows who that is? When I say Fred Rogers, a.k.a. Mr. Rogers, I get a little, little broader. Or maybe I'll step up the game and say Michael Jordan. Goat, I heard this morning, yes. About Billy Graham. Let's bring it closer to home. Beulah, Beulah Ellis. David Byers. Everett Black. Patty Workman. It's incredible to me that at the sound of a name... If you'll give it time, images, experiences, memories flood the mind. If, if you'll give it time enough, maybe even sights and sounds and even smells. That's pretty incredible, isn't it? If you've paying, been paying any attention this morning... We've already heard the name above all names. And in our text today, as you'll see in just a moment, we have a lot of names. We have a lot of names this morning in Romans chapter 16. And many folks, when they get to this chapter, um, they just kind of blast right through those to that last prayer that we sang in the onset this morning when we first came in, if you will notice as we read here in just a few moments. Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 1 says, A good name is better than precious ointment. A good name means more than we can measure this morning. And so our, our sermon summary or um, what I want all of us to gather around this morning is the name above all names does not and will not forget yours. Let me say that again. The name above all names does not and will not forget yours. Romans chapter 16. And those of you who are able... Why don't you rise with me to your feet as I read? Starting in verse 1, Paul says, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at Kentria, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever need she may have from you. For she's been a patron of many and of myself as well. Greet Prisca or Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus who risked their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Greet also the church in their house. Greet my beloved 
Epinatus, who was the first convert to Christ in Asia. Greet Mary, who has worked hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners. They're well known to the apostles and were in Christ before me. Greet Ampliatus, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and my beloved Stachys. Greet Apellus, who is approved in Christ. Greet those who belong to the family of Aristobulus. Greet my kinsman, Herodian. Greet those in the Lord who belong to the family of Narcissus. Greet those workers in the Lord, Tryphena and Tryphosa. Greet the beloved Persis, who has worked hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, also his mother, who's been a mother to me as well. Greet Asyncritus, Phlegon, Hermes, Patrobus, Hermas, and the brothers who are with them. Greet Philogus, Julia, Nerus, and his sister Olympus, and all the saints who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you've been taught. Avoid them. For such persons do not serve our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. For your obedience is known to all, so that I rejoice over you. But I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent, as to what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Timothy, my fellow worker, greets you. So do Lucius and Jason and Sosipater, my kinsmen. I, Tertius, who wrote this letter, greet you in the Lord. Gaius, who is host to me and to the whole church, greets you. Erastus, the city treasurer, and our brother Cordus, greets you. Now to him who is able to strengthen you, according to my gospel, in the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mercy that was kept secret for long ages, but has now been disclosed, and through the prophetic writings has been made known to all nations, according to the command of the eternal God, to bring about the obedience of faith. To the only wise God be glory forever through Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. And may God add a blessing to the reading of his word this morning. Some of you are like impressed that I got through all those names, aren't you? I thought I'd make note of that. Okay, so here's a tip. Okay, here's a tip. You just say it boldly and confidently, even if you don't know it, and say it fast. People are convinced you know what you're talking about. I have no clue. The thing is, we have Bible apps now that read out loud, and depending on which one you're listening to, you'll hear that name pronounced differently, so it's really, I think, it's all good. I am greatly humbled by Paul's heart here, and I have been immensely helped by his, his his writing, his, his shepherding, his ministering to us through this book that comes to us in the 21st century called Romans. And I hope that this walk that we've taken through this book has been a great help to you. And if you're just coming in at the last bit of it, there's very few books in our Bible that are so concentrated and have such incredible glimpses of the God 
whom we serve, and then takes those glimpses that seem to be so massive and so weighty and then brings them down here where we are. And then Paul starts to apply these things. And for the last, since chapter 11 through 16, we start seeing how this stuff, it's like, here it is, now why does it matter? And for chapters 11 through 16, we start seeing where this stuff actually invades your life. And I, I see Paul's heart here in this last chapter as he, he undoubtedly smells like sheep. And I am incredibly, incredibly convicted by that as one of your pastors because we are called to shepherd the sheep. And a good pastor smells like his sheep. And I'm still relatively young, okay? But I'm, I'm called with Timothy by Paul to not let anyone look down on my youth, as are those of you in the room with me, but to be an example in my speech and in my conduct and in the decisions that I make. And that ought to inspire you and, and even ought to, um, as, we, as we see all these names and that Paul is, is every single one means something great to him, enough that he wouldn't pass over them. And I hope that, if anything, you see here this morning and in our time together that you'd be open to the possibility of being known by more people than you currently are right now and that you would be open to the possibility of making yourself known to more people than you currently are by opening up and letting your guard down because every single person that walked in here has got some guard up. Some of us more than others. But Christ calls us to let down that guard because we are more like one another than we realize. And we have common need that brought us here this morning. And that need is Christ. And I want you to see that this morning uniquely in this text. Paul closes this letter. Fifteen chapters before this. And he, he closes with an immense amount of gratitude for those he's known in Rome. And, and they're his partners in the gospel. And he dearly loves them. And he takes time to mention each one by name. And I want to I tell you this. Most people that belong to Jesus have names that will be forgotten. Most, the church consists largely of people whom you don't know. When you read these names, you're like, I don't know these people. And yet, let me remind you, the name above all names will not and does not forget yours as he has not these. So Paul closes his letter with gratitude, thankful for all these people. And he, and he gets specific about some of them and, and why they mean so much to him. And then he has this final warning, and it almost seems out of place, but it really serves as like a stark contrast because like right before that, there's, there's this mention of such unity in the church. And then he says, don't let, don't let this cause you to wink 
or miss those who might sneak in subtly to disrupt the unity and deceive you and call you away from your master and your Lord. And he closes the letter in an expression of awe. He's just in awe of this God. And he wants to invite you in to gazing at him, as Paul does. Now, we must acknowledge the beauty and the diversity that exists in the church of Jesus Christ. Just think about how the grace of God brings people together who otherwise have little in common. And, and, and God would, he would cause these people to join together with a common purpose, with something that brings them together instead of separates them. And now, we've got people in this room, this very room, who you won't find together apart from Christ. And it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. There's mention of, I think, some 28 names, maybe even more, in this letter. And I don't know about you, but sometimes here this morning we may think, my name means so little to folks. And we, because of maybe decisions that we've made or um, labels that have been attached to us. And if you look at some of these names, there's, there's Greek names that are retained. These people have met Jesus, and their names, if you knew what their names actually meant, it means that they're sold out to another God, but God comes in and gives them a new name, and yet they retain their earthly name so that others will know that there is no one too far outside the bounds of God's grace. If you in this room this morning, you think that there's too much sin. You have yet to hear that God has far more grace than you have sin in you. And he will set free the worst of us and the worst in us. We've got women who are mentioned in this letter. And I, I want to tell you that Christianity is the best thing that has ever happened to women. The, the best thing. If you will look at history, if you will look at human history, and if you're, you're, you're looking around now, and, and the brand of Christianity that you have seen or you've been exposed to belittles women, then, then it's a sick brand of Christianity. Okay? Because women are empowered. If, if you see the time that Jesus takes with women, and then we see there's households of slaves that are mentioned here in this letter. People, I mean, there, there, there's people here that if we had time, we, we would say, his name, her name shouldn't be here. And there are people in this room who by the grace of God, you would not otherwise be here. Amen? There's people in this room that the name above all names has called out your name. And it's the only reason you are here. And it's the only reason that you live with hope. And that you can call other people into that. Instead of these other things that you once settled for and that you were occupied by. 
and that you let rule you. There's more grace in Christ than there is sin attached to your name. And Paul knows it here. And he mentions these folks that he dearly loves. And we see in verse 2, regarding this sister named Phoebe, that she's a servant of the church. And there's a lot of ink spilled on, on, on whether this is an office, whether this is a female deacon, or if this is just a, a female servant. And there's a lot of ink spilled on one side of the line and the other side of the line. And I'm not here this morning to say this is the, what it is. But no one, wherever you fall, no one can disagree that whether you have a title or you don't, we are called to serve. And you don't serve because you have a title. You serve because the God of the universe has served you in your greatest need. And he has come to serve that we would realize that that's the way to life instead of everyone else serving our needs. And Phoebe, we're told here, and I love the way that Eugene Peterson says it. He, he says that this church is to welcome Phoebe. Not only does, does God care about the women in the room and those who are maybe um, in the eyes of culture deemed a lesser people, which is insane, by the way, whether you're, it's, it's a, a difference in the shade of your pigment of, of your skin color or, or maybe the social status or, or we could just go on and on and on. Paul, I think, is many agree with me that Paul is sending this letter to Rome in the hands of Phoebe. She's the one bringing the letter that we are now hearing that would be read aloud to all of these churches in Rome. And he says that we're to to turn around and just as she has been a great help to me, in fact, Paul goes on to say that she's even been a great financial help to me. I've been less burdened because of Phoebe in my life. She has helped me greatly. And those who are visibly serving, because we know who those are in the church, the ones who you see visibly serving, the ones who are on the stage or the ones who seem to be doing things, they need to be served too. They, they, we tend to exhaust ourselves sometimes and think that every, there's a few people that are going to do all the work and we forget their humanity. And folks, I, I, don't, I don't know how many times I, I want to just be frank and honest and open with you that I, I want my humanity to show. Because if it doesn't, then I, I, I'm, I'm pointing to myself as your solution and I'm not. I want my humanity to show so that you can see that I too need this Savior that I'm proclaiming, that I am pointing you to and pointing my wife and my children to. And here we have, I I mentioned his name, Eugene Peterson. He says, how about you welcome Phoebe with the hospitality that we Christians are famous for? I love that. And yet I wonder if that could be said of us. Can that be said of Big Branch Church, that we welcome people? We're famous for our welcome. We're famous for our hospitality, for the fact that we just bring people in who were once out. Just like Christ who brings people in who were once out. If you're in Christ, you were on the out. And he has gone 
after you and brought you in? And who are we going after and bringing in? As Paul invites us and challenges us to. Big Branch Church. Let's get to it. How many times do we see in this chapter 16, Paul's wrapping this thing up. How many times do we see this mention of work and and an acknowledgement, a a compliment of this worker in the Lord who worked hard for Christ's sake, who, who helped me? This is not a come and sit situation. By the way, Christianity, it's not... There's more than meets the eye with what's happening right now. I realize I'm up here, you're here, this is a come and sit situation in this moment. But this is just a little sliver of the picture of what God's people are up to. Yeah? We've got a picture of that in many of you. The most recent one is David. Okay, David Mount, who's here with me this morning. I'm, unlike Pastor Randy, you know, he, he'll say, he's not here so we can talk about him. David's right here in the room, and I'm just going to say, he came in the door and he's like, put me to work, people. I didn't come in here to sit down. Can we not, like, you know, take some place from his book and be like, yeah, I mean, I... But what we'll do is we'll come in the door and we'll consume and then we'll leave. And can we be content with that? Can you be content with that? I'm asking the Lord that he would disrupt that contentment that we have. That he would call us to repent of that contentment that we have. That we are not living and not stepping into what God has called us to do. And not wrestling with our giftedness. And not wrestling with our experiences. And not wrestling with the things that God has equipped us uniquely for that this body needs. Do you see Paul thanking each one of these people because they have a particular role in his life in the broader church's life? This is body life, and every part works together to carry the load. We know this, those who are especially gifted with, with hospitality. We've, we've got a lady, she's not here this morning. Her name is Nancy Norris. When you hear that name, what comes to mind? Hospitality just leaks from her everywhere she goes. She, makes, she takes notice of you. It's because she realizes Jesus has taken notice of her. And, and there are others of you. This is just natural to you. But then there, then there are folks like maybe me or you, and you're like, I'm not real great at that. Let's just leave it up to those who are. Because someone is particularly gifted, that does not excuse you from growing in that area. In fact, God calls, calls us to start moving in that area. Some are particularly gifted, and yet others are called to particularly grow in that area. Our faith in Christ take shape I see here and I see all through the scriptures our faith in Christ takes shape in word and in deed and before I get to that I'm going to back up just a moment I remember well Ada is almost five years old my daughter runs around here and most of you but not all of you know she was born premature she weighed two pounds when she was born 
And I, I remember being on the receiving end of the ministry of the church. That's a difficult place to be sometimes when you're, when you're Plan A is to be the one doing the ministry. And you're on the receiving end, and God providentially says, sit. There's nothing you can do. And we sat in that hospital for 73 days, 98 total. Sarah was in the hospital bed before Ada was delivered for 25. And we sat over in that hospital going, there's nothing we can do. And the church starts praying, starts visiting. That was before COVID. You could actually do that. Um, calling on us, checking on us, making financial contributions, and gift cards and food and all that kind of stuff. My humanity was showing. It was like, God, thank you for your people. The ones who serve, there are times where we need to be served too. The need that you have that I try to meet I had that same need. Now, our faith in Christ takes shape in word and deed. Notice in uh, chapter 3, uh, or chapter 16, verse 3, you see my fellow workers. You see in verse 9, um, you see uh, our fellow worker in Christ. You see, uh, again, verse 12, greet those workers in the Lord. The repetition of work, workers in the Lord. Our faith in Christ bids us beyond this come and sit mentality, as I mentioned. And, and yet, if we're not careful, what we can also do is we can think, well, it's, it's already taken care of. It's already taken care of. It, it, you know, believe it or not, sometimes it's not already taken care of. That just, it just looks like it is. Don't be afraid to ask. Don't be afraid to ask. And as you're driving here in just a little while, when you go to get your lunch, you forget because it, it, it's become like breathing. But if you look down at your feet, you'll notice there are two pedals. In some cars, there might be three. It's become fewer and far between, isn't it? Some of you don't know what that third pedal's for. <laughs> but you have two pedals. One of them is go, and one of them is stop. You need both. Because we need to be going. We need to be serving. We need to be working. But we also need to stop and we need to break, and we need to rest, and we need to be ministered to instead of always, always, always going, 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 stop. Some of you, the most spiritual thing you could do is stop. Take a season and stop. And others of you, that's the only pedal you know. That's all you've done is stop. I'm not going anywhere. Don't tell me. I'm content here at the stop sign. No. Take your foot off the brake, the other pedal. Start, start using it, okay? And you know who you are if you've gotten comfortable and you need to get going. What's the deal with this holy kiss thing? As we were reading, did you, did you catch that? Greet one another with a holy kiss. So, so Paul mentions all these names, and he says, Greet one another with a holy kiss. And you're like, ooh, I hope that doesn't like, you know, I hope that doesn't, isn't, isn't a new initiative for Big Branch Church. Like, ah, COVID's an excuse. We can't do that right now. So we don't, it falls on deaf ears uh, because we're so removed uh, from that cultural uh, situation. 
And just like we are in, in, removed from the cultural situation, there are some Eastern cultures where if you look someone in the eye, it's actually a matter of disrespect. And it's like, huh? What are you talking about? Like, we in the West, we look me in the eye. <laughs> That's what I tell my children. Look me in the eye. And yet, even if we're not going to get going on this holy kiss thing in the 21st century at Big Branch Church, and you don't see that happening in a lot of churches. We throw hugs, we do the fist bump these days. There's this proximity. There is this nearness. There is this intimacy. There is this love that calls these people towards one another instead of apart from one another. And our lives can be so privatized. We live in the U.S. of A. And we pride ourselves on individualism. And if we're not careful, that can leak in to the point where our lives are so privatized that God starts poking at that. He says, hey, you, hey, you, you need to, as I said earlier, you need to drop your guard. Like Adam and Eve, you're still hiding. You're hiding from that woman, and you're, and you're hiding from that man, and you're hiding from your brother and your sister, and you're hiding from God. And yet in Christ Jesus, he comes with clothes, so we need not hide anymore from one another, and instead we draw in and we bring those in nearer to us. You can come out of hiding, and you can get to being known, and you can get to knowing other people. And that's what we're called to do. And, and specific action what can you do with this? Like, the Christian life requires intentionality. It does. And, and that's kind of a, a buzzword that's been used in the last, I don't know, maybe five, six years. Intentionality, intention, intentional with this, intentional with that. Folks, that is Christianity. Okay? You do not accidentally, you, you intentionally make a decision. You start seeing things and you say, okay, so this belongs to Jesus, not just me. So what does that mean that I do with this? Whether it's my home, whether it's my schedule, whether it's my finances. And what I think like the least invasive like, place you can start, where I can start, is mealtime. And I mention this um, fairly regularly, is you have to eat, and so does everyone else. So, like, how about you, like, bring someone in that's never been into that with you? Sunday mornings, we can, like, run out of here real quick and go get something to eat. And I'm not condemning you, those of you who like to eat with your families, your immediate families, after church on Sunday. But how about you consider, you know, taking a step and saying, hey, let's invite so-and-so to lunch. Let's invite so-and-so into our home. We had an invitation just this week from someone in our church, and we blew it. We didn't, we didn't make it. Um, things happen, you know, and it'll happen to you too. Um, but we intend to follow up with that. And how about, you do, how about you do the same? Look around. Who's in the room here? These names mean something. You're not going to know every single name but are you, are you content with only knowing the names of those who came here with you? I'm not. <laughs> I'm not. Okay? Everyone's wired different. 
but you are called to stretch. And what's a stretch for you may not be a stretch for me, but you're called to stretch and grow as you go. We cannot overestimate the need of Christian fellowship. We cannot. COVID has exposed that unlike any other thing. The need of Christian fellowship. The need for human fellowship. Yeah? And then let's look, let's look briefly to the warning before we close. He says, brothers, watch out for those who cause divisions. He's been speaking of these people who mean so much to him, who've become so dear to him. And then he, he says, they greet you. All the churches of Christ greet you. And then out of place, it seems, but we'll see why it matters. He says, brothers and sisters, watch out. Don't get comfortable. Because when it seems that things are starting to operate smoothly in the church, that's when Satan is subtly sneaking in. And when it appears that things are flourishing and things are going in the right direction, we heard at Strength to Stand just a couple weekends ago, and I'm very thankful for it. And Scott Dawson, uh, founder of um, the Strength to Stand conferences, he said, I'm old enough now that I don't, I don't get into all that with people, you know, that there's, there's arguments and stuff that really doesn't matter that much. I'm like laser-like focused on Jesus Christ who saves sinners and, and by grace through faith and all this other side noise because that's what he's warning us about. I just don't put up with it. I just walk away from it. As Paul says, these people, they do two things. They cause divisions and they deceive. And you must have eyes wide open because it'll happen right here in your midst. The very moment that you think, oh, we're good. We don't have that problem. Yeah, you do. It's right under your nose. And you've looked the other way. Those who divide and those who deceive. Notice, he says, who cause division and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. And we could take time and we could say, oh, the doctrine that we have been taught by Paul. Oh, how God has called us to see that all people, not some people, need Jesus. And this is not some holy club that we can pick and choose who belong. We could, we could talk about how God calls us out of sin and darkness into his marvelous light and how we're still sinful yet we're saints and how we wrestle with this nature. This, we got this new nature of the Holy Spirit and then we've got this residual nature of sin and flesh and we fight and the war is in the mind. And we could go on and on and on. And it's all pointing us back to Jesus. And Paul says, watch out for those who want to kind of shift you to some other thing, some other initiative, some other movement, some other thing, some other campaign. It's so subtle that we have a passage like John 10.10. And when I say John 10.10, you all know what I mean. Many of you do. And there's something, the thief comes to kill, to steal, and destroy. The enemy is so subtle that we read that passage, and all of us hear that and we say, Satan. But that passage, if you'll read it, is actually about false teachers and Pharisees. 
the false teachers and Pharisees come to kill, steal, and destroy. And obviously, they are Satan's allies, but that text in Jesus is confronting the Pharisees who are in league with Satan. And Satan is so subtle. He doesn't say, hey, look, here I am. I'm coming to destroy you. He sneaks in by cunning, by flattery words, it says, smooth words, good talk. Church, we've got to be more about character than charisma. Because what will happen is we've got people who come in and they're charismatic and they look gifted and they sound like they know and they talk and they're captivating. But we've seen what that does and we see the dead bodies, the trail, that when we elevate charisma and giftedness above the fruit of the Spirit, it's high time that we start valuing the fruit of the Spirit over spiritual giftedness. Okay, because I see that again and again and again. And if we're not careful, we say, put him in a position. He's awesome. Does he have any character? Does he love his wife? Does he take care of his children? Are we sure? If you're new to the family, and by that I mean faith family, Paul says, you need to be careful who you listen to. You need to be careful who woos you because you are particularly and he's not throwing shade on you he's saying you can be naive you can be gullible and then with that he's calling us seasoned who've been around who have trained discernment to watch out for our brothers and sisters and sometimes say hey you need to be careful listening to that You need to be careful what you read. I'm not saying you can't. I'm saying be careful. And then I'm mindful of the fact that we have this book like Romans. If we're not careful, we we see this as just a bunch of propositions and, and, and awesome teachings and things. We're like, wow, Paul, he really is a wordsmith. He, he can really turn a phrase. And my goodness, this, we, we talk about predestination. We talk about election. We talk about uh, sanctification. And, and we talk about glorification. Oh, and then some of you are like, my eyes just rolled in the back of my head. What are you talking about? This is doctrine. This is teaching of Scripture. But folks, doctrine is intended to lead to devotion. And we see this. We see this here. We see that Paul says, I appeal to you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions contrary to your doctrine. And then later he says, your obedience is known to all. Their obedience has come forth from their doctrine. And, and, and I, I know it because I've done it and so do you. We, we t- tend to be pretty narrow in our examination of others. And we tend to cut other churches down so that ours stands a little taller. Okay, We can criticize people and Christians who... Oh, they're all about getting more knowledge. And then we're over here critiquing these and saying, yeah, well, they're, they're kind of, you know, they're all heart and they don't have a head, <laughs> you know. But this no heart, no head dichotomy, this false dichotomy is not helpful, okay? We must embrace the head and the heart because God brings us, he acknowledges the whole person and he arms our church, his body, with the way we think. And the way we think, in turn, propels us to feel 
and to move and to care and to have compassion. And these are not propositions. These are not just categories. These are not just hollow doctrines. They inform our devotion. And there's something amiss if all you've got is doctrine but you have no devotion. Amen? Paul is thrilled, as can I be, when I see folks taking steps in obedience towards Jesus. And in this room, there are folks I know. God is calling you to take a step in obedience towards Jesus. He's always the one who initiates. The only reason you know you need to take a step is because he's always already drawn near to you. And don't you just love it? I do. I heard some amens. The imminent defeat of Satan. He says, be on guard for Satan's cronies, but I want you to be reminded. And notice this is not a prayer request. Oh, Lord, please defeat Satan. It is a certain announcement. If, if you didn't hear anything, commit this one to memory and recall so that we can remind one another every day, all the time, as we proceed, the fight that's worth fighting, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. And notice, notice under our feet. There's a day where we're going to be able to stand over top of him in victory and say no more. Isn't that incredibly encouraging that this is a certain reality, not just an expectation? I don't know about you, but I can't wait to see him crushed fully and finally. As one man said, the dragon has been slayed, but his tail still swishes. And some of you in the room know that very well because you're experiencing it right now. His tail still swishes. You know what it means to have the enemy attacking your family. You know what it is to have the enemy working in the midst of those you love and care about. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ. Paul goes on to tell us we're not dealing with shadows anymore. We're not looking at signs that are pointing to the name above all names. We have his substance. We see Jesus clearly and we need to point people to him and we need to point one another to him. We know the Savior by faith. And it's his name. And from faith that we obey him. And that really is an incredible wrap-up to all that Paul has said. He began, he began the letter in chapter 1 with the faith. The faith, the obedience of faith. That is why he preaches. That is why he does what he does. That's why he labors. That's why he exhausts himself. That is why he lays his life on the line for the obedience that comes from faith. Because folks, we obey God because he loves us, not so that he will love us. That is Christianity. That is Christianity. Let me say it again. We obey God because he loves us, not so that he will love us. Will you stand with me?